This is Inside Geneva. I'm your host, Imogen Folks, and this is a Swiss Info production. In today's programme... What is happening? What is cooking in the laboratory that may affect what we are, where we live, and how can we live in the, on this planet? The focus of JESTA and here in Geneva is uh, science uh, diplomacy for global governance and multilateral cooperation. Using space resources for enabling further exploration and an in-space economy. This is a very complex field with technological, scientific, but also business, legal and regulatory challenges. The COVID pandemic actually illustrates very beautifully the benefits of opening up science to scientists and the larger public. Welcome to this very special extra edition of our podcast Inside Geneva. Now, we're here in the heart of Geneva. Some of you have sometimes said to me, oh, a sleepy little town in sleepy little Switzerland. Well, not this week. Here in Geneva, we are surrounded by some of the world's leading scientists, Nobel Prize winners. They're all getting together to look at some of the big scientific challenges and developments that are facing us over the next 5, 10, 15, 20, even 50 years. And it's all part of what is known as the JESDA Summit. That is the Geneva Science and Diplomacy Anticipator. And I'm joined by two of the key people involved. Delighted to have with me Peter Brabeck. Some of you may know him as a former head of Nestle. He's chairman of JESDA. And Fabiola Giannotti, who is director general of CERN. That's Europe's Center for Nuclear Research. I'm going to ask you a really basic question first, because a lot of our listeners will be hearing about JESDA for the very first time. Ladies first, Fabiola, what is it? And then I'll come to you, Peter. So JESDA for me, it's a way of, on one end, anticipating um, future opportunities, future technologies, to be able to address today's and tomorrow's challenges. And secondly, for me, JESDA is a platform that brings together scientists, diplomats, private sector, public sector. is a platform that really fosters collaboration among diverse sectors. And we know that this is super crucial today. The pandemic also actually is one one of the main lessons from the pandemic, the need to work together. And so it's really an enriching and stimulating environment when we try to pull together all stakeholders from science to society and prepare, better prepare for the future. Let's bring you in there, Peter Brabeck. When the Swiss foreign minister opened this summit, he talked about preventing a science cold war. You mentioned COVID, uh, Fabiola, and of course countries have, have vied with each other in this pandemic. But a science cold war, is that something you see evidence of? Is that why you got involved with Chester? Well, I would say if you look around, you would certainly see a race in technological development. If you look at the declaration of world leaders you will hear that some of them clearly state that they want their country be the leader, technology leader, worldwide. And the next uh, step is that if two countries want to be the world's development leaders in technology and science, 
well, there's a certain confrontation. And I think that's what uh, Ignacio Cassis talked about, the danger of a Cold War. Now, additionally, if you look at the same powers afterwards, are using technology and technological advantages for a kind of neocolonialism, as I would call it, that they use this advantage that they have in order to get political power in some parts of the world. So they offer them to get access to this technology, but of course it's a surprise. Well, you see, there is a geopolitical issue which I think is very important, and uh, perhaps Shesta, as an honest broker between science and politics, uh, wants at least to help to overcome, and that science is available according to the Human Rights Declaration. There is part of the Human Rights Declaration is a human right to access of science, that this science is really available for everybody in the world, and not for perhaps three or four multinational companies or three or four powerful governments. Fabiola, at CERN, Center for for Nuclear Research, you have some experience of this cooperation and collaboration despite geopolitical tensions. I mean, you have had Iranians and American scientists, haven't you? Russians and Chinese all working together. Do you see that that spirit of collaboration can be encouraged in some of the big things we're looking at, cyber or artificial intelligence, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think we we must really do more uh, and become more collaborative in all fields of society. The challenges are daunting, societal challenges, planetary challenges, technological challenges. So working together is a must. But also, for what Peter was saying, we should avoid to create now a next uh, cold world and use science and technologies as tools of ours. Science and technology should become tools to reduce inequities across the world. So the opposite trend should actually happen. So I think it's very, very important that we, we learn also from organizations like CERN, where you know, we have you know, more than 17,000 scientists from all over the world. And as you, as you mentioned, some of these scientists some come from countries that are not the best friends of each other, and yet they work, they work together. And this is beneficial to science itself, because science is nurtured through also different ideas, uh, different viewpoints, etc., but also to create a better and more sustainable society. As you mentioned, COVID has really exposed the kind of lack of equity over access to, you know, we have the fastest, the world's fastest ever created vaccine. And yet I was hearing from the Secretary General just yesterday that in the world's poorest countries, they have received less than half of 1% of the amount of doses. So that's one of the things Jesta wants to uh, address. There's something else, though, because anticipatory is in your title. And one of the things that I think we, even the lay people like me, discuss a lot is, are the scientific developments racing ahead of our understanding of what kind of regulation we might need? What is the potential, perhaps dangerous ethical potential for the scientific development? I'm thinking we're talking um, on the day the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded. Now, Alfred Nobel, of course, invented dynamite and apparently later in life regretted it and left all his money to the, to the, the Nobel Committee and to these prizes. 
Peter, is that something that keeps you awake at night? The potential of science and the ethical questions not being addressed? Well, I would say it doesn't uh, keep the sleep away from me because uh, I'm normally sleeping very well. But I would say it is certainly one of the big issues. And if you look at the panels we have been discussing uh, since yesterday and today, almost in every single one of the panels, the question of the ethical frameworking is coming up. It doesn't matter what we are talking about scientific breakthrough. Every single one has the potential of being good for humanity, but it has also the inherent potential for being bad for humanity. This is part. You cannot decide, we will only pursue good science. This is not possible. So what is, pos what is important and what we are trying to do at Chester is by anticipating which scientific breakthroughs will come in the next 5, 10 or 15 years. Let's talk now. What is the framework? The regulation auto -regu can be auto-regulation, it can be uh, regulations, it can be agreements uh, between different stakeholders. But what is the frame that we need so that we definitely get the good out of the scientific breakthroughs for all humankind? And as I said before, not the bad ones or the, or the good ones only for some selected elites. So, Fabio, I think the point Peter's making is um, science, the developments are neutral, but how we use these developments is not. What kind of things are you looking at where you think we need to think about the ethics around that, we need to think about a, a regulatory system? I mean, I'm going to use a very uh, populist example, but say, let's look at Facebook. Hailed is fantastic. We can all keep connected. This week, the cover of Time magazine is Mark Zuckerberg and one headline, delete, question mark. We did not anticipate this at all, did we? The more negative ways that this kind of technology could be used. So, first of all, I would like to say, in compliment to what uh, Peter said, knowledge is always good. We cannot stop science, science means knowledge, for the fear of the bad use of, of science. So as we said, we need policies that allows us to use the science and the knowledge that we have acquired to the benefit of humanity for the common goods and not for bad things. So understanding how, how the atomic nucleus work is fundamental and of course was used in bad way for bombs but is used for po positive way in nuclear medicine which is fundamental nowadays for, for treating many diseases. So uh, clearly that's the question of policy. Now the problem has always been there. The point is now that today communication, information travels so quickly across the world that all problems get amplified. I think we need to develop policies for many, many things. You mentioned, of course, the social media, so communication, the way we communicate to, uh, to society, the way also we, in which we communicate science, but also for some specific scientific developments where clearly we have to set the boundaries of what is good and what is not good. And that's not so much the task of scientists. I think it's more the task of policymakers, governments, etc. So that's why platforms like initiatives like JESDA are super, super important to bring the two fields together and to try and work 
on policies and of course hoping that also there is a common understanding of governments because also that is, is complicated and to have a policy that is accepted by everyone. But if we don't start, if we don't try, we will never get there. There is this issue of communication to the, to the general public, isn't there? Because I think sometimes, particularly in the field of science or cutting-edge science, it's human nature to go either, oh, that's wonderful, or oh, that's terrible. I'm wondering, some of the things you've been discussing, I mean, I'm a, like a normal person like everybody else, some of them have filled me with, oh, makes me very nervous. Some have filled me with a lot of hope. I mean, if we look at, for example, genetic engineering, talking about prolonging life in a way we can't fathom at the moment. I mean, how are we going to communicate? How can Jester help to communicate the, both the technology and the ethics around that to people? Well, I think you are touching, of course, uh, on one of these very, very critical issues, which is how can we make these scientific breakthroughs communicable to the broader population. Because as long as they do not participate and we let the framing of how it is going to be developed to an elite, we will always have a problem. And the result of this is that we have a lot of technologies available today which we are not able to implement because we have not involved the public early on. So one of the things, for example, that Shesta is doing and has inaugurated yesterday, is that we have now a digital platform. We have already looked into 11 million of opinions of the world before we started to do the breakthrough radar. And we have an absolutely open and transparent meeting like this one here, where everybody can participate in the world. And the feedback that we are getting, and which we are encouraging that we are getting, will then be the base, the raw material, on which we are going to build the 2022 radar, which then will be even richer, because it will be based, hopefully, not only on 11 million of feedbacks we received, but will be hopefully more. I'm going to return to the breakthrough radar in just a moment, but I wanted to address, particularly with you, Fabio, and one of the other topics that's been addressed this summit, which is to do with mining in space and natural resources that are available in space. Now, I specifically want to ask you, because you work at CERN and you do do this superpower collaboration, I mean, really how hopeful are you that there's going to be cooperation between the superpowers when it comes to really valuable natural resources out there in space? Uh, it's a very good question. And, uh, of course, it's much easier to collaborate when people have to do with fundamental knowledge, like we do at CERN, when, when there are other interests, in particular economic interests. Uh, but, on the other hand, I think that if we do not really persuade the governments and the policymakers that this way of, uh, you know, the current society is not sustainable in terms of the way resources are distributed, power and wealth is distributed, then we will not go that far. I think, again, it's a problem also of communication, in this particular case with the government, but also with the general public. And it's a problem of communication also of not only about the great scientific discoveries and achievements and what we can do and what we will be in, in 10 years from now. It's also a question of sharing with everybody the scientific method and what science can do and what science cannot do. 
The problem of mining space, uh, it's, it's a very difficult one. I don't think there is an easy solution today. But I think that uh, uh, initiatives like JESDA are very good in that they at least attract the attention to the problem. And at least they give the example of how one could go about it in the future. If we do not put together scientists with the governments, policymakers, and other actors and stakeholders, I think we are not going to go far. There's a big set of negotiations, diplomatic negotiations, going on in Geneva at the moment around lethal autonomous weapons and whether any regulation is needed around there. And they're not going especially fast, these negotiations. Nobody expects a treaty by the end of this year, although there had been some hope. Peter, is that the kind of debate that you see JESDA getting involved in, having something to offer? I would say, first of all, I'm extremely happy that this conversation is taking place because I'm personally absolutely convinced that we need a strong regulation on autonomous weapons. It would be a disaster if humankind loses the control uh, and we give this to algorithms to decide whether I'm living tomorrow or not living tomorrow. So I, I'm very happy that at least the conversation goes on and I hope that the treaty will come about. Now, the question, would Chester work on this? I would, my answer is, if Chester had existed 10 years ago, be assured that we would be discussing before autonomous weapons are being developed, and we would be discussing exactly what regulations do we need that will limit, you will not prohibit the creation of autonomous weapons, I don't think so, but you would regulate it, okay? Up to which point you need to have the human intervention. And that's a real ethical question in, in, the, in, the, in the autonomous weapon discussion. Those exactly the issues we discussed today, for example, when we're talking about quantum computing. Quantum computing might become one of the best things that can happen to humanity, but it can also become, if it is only concentrated on, on, on the warfare part of it, it can be very negative. So this open discussion about those subjects is exactly what JESTA wants to do. But it wants to anticipate. We don't want to discuss what is already here. There are many other institutions that are already existing in Geneva, for example, that take care of this. We want to discuss what we anticipate will be and early on bring in civil society, bring in the, the diplomats, bring in the politicians and the scientists in order to create a healthy base on which then afterwards the scientific breakthroughs can be applied. And that brings me to my pretty much final question for each of you, because you again mentioned this key word, anticipate, and you have launched this radar where you're going to have the experts that you've got involved keeping an eye all the time on developments, and I assume then supplying some advice and input about criteria that need to be thought about. Fabiola... Peter said that if JESDA had existed 10 years ago, it would have got involved in the the debate on lethal autonomous weapons. What do you think, anticipate for a moment for for the podcast, what do you think JESDA might be looking at in five years' time or 10 years' time? Well, I think... uh Part of the answer was given already by, um, by, by, by Peter before. I think that the whole quantum world is something to explore, is a, is a, is a different 
world and our macroscopic world. It has completely different laws, the laws of quantum mechanics. By the way, at CERN, we are governed by uh, quantum mechanics because we look at the, most, the smallest particles. But there is a potential out there which is enormous, not only in computing, but also for sensors, etc. Quantum is, is the one that all the lay people like me run a mile from because we don't quite understand it. But basically, am I wrong in simplifying it to say that we could have machines that could work, I mean, much faster than our own brains, incredibly fast? It's, yeah, it, 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 fast and also, uh, in some sense, allows us to address more, much more complex uh, problems than classical computing, for instance. So it's, it's a world that gives us much more, more opportunities for doing calculation and, and, and uh, fast calculation and, and solve very complex problems. So the quantum world is some, something that for communication, for computing, for sensors, can really be a revolution. So I'm very, very happy that, uh, that JESDA has identified quantum as one of the main, our main initiatives and, and opportunities for the future. And I think having anticipated that, one of the things that we have to anticipate and to work on is to avoid that quantum, as Peter was saying, becomes yet another reason for increasing the gap across the world. Because any technology, in particular the most advanced, actually what they do is increasing the gap. So if we don't pay attention to education for all, science for all, technologies for all, and involving also the developing countries and the poorest and the marginalized, then that gap will increase. And then from the point of view of society, I don't know, the, the, the world will not be sustainable. Final words to you then, Peter. Anticipate as well for us, apart from quantum, what else do you think Jester might be focusing on in the next few years? Well, for me personally, there is one question which is at the forefront. And this is, what does it mean to be a human being? Uh, human augmentation, gene editing, all of those technologies, brain science, all of those will allow us to augment the capabilities of the human being. Now, this is very good and very fine if we can help to overcome sicknesses like Alzheimer like Parkinson, but many others, I mean, drug dependence and things like this. But of course, they present enormous ethical question. Because let's suppose we have the possibility to increase your cognitive capabilities, which we have today. So whom should we apply it? To those who are sick? Alzheimer at which state? Uh, early on, as a preventive? So if I get the treatment, preventive treatment against Alzheimer, should my neighbor receive one? If we can afford it to do, should the people in Africa receive one? The, the questions which are embedded in this human augmentation are for me the most complicated one. Frankly speaking, even more complicated than the quantum computing. Because they will touch the inner being of human being. They will transform us from human being into an avatar or perhaps later on into a robot. So that's, that's going to be, I'm sure, on the program of Shesta for many years to come. Well, an awful lot to think about there. And for any uh, arts graduates like me who fondly thought that science didn't have much to do with them, what Fabiola and Peter have told us today, it clearly 
affects and is going to affect every part of our lives. So from this edition of Inside Geneva, it's goodbye. Thank you to Peter Brabeck and Fabiola Gianotti. And for now, thanks for listening. A reminder, you've been listening to Inside Geneva, a Swiss Info production. You can email us on insidegeneva at swissinfo.ch and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know what you think of the programme and check out our previous episodes. From a long, hard look at the United Nations, now it's 75, to an account of 10 years of war in Syria to the history of how the international treaties on landmines and on enforced disappearances came about. And coming up in the next few weeks, killer robots are back on the negotiating table in Geneva. Will campaigners succeed in getting a ban? Ahead of the climate summit in November, what outcome do humanitarian agencies hope for? And are we getting humanitarian work wrong? We'll be asking two experts why they think aid needs to be decolonized. I'm Imogen Folks. Thank you for listening and do join us again on Inside Geneva. Discover science and innovation in Switzerland with the Swiss Connection podcast. In the current series, we visit CERN and explore what they're up to next in their quest to solve the mysteries of the universe. We uncover groundbreaking discoveries in a Roman archaeological site and get the first glimpse of an exciting supersonic plane powered by hydrogen. From the tiniest particles to the vastness of space, satisfy your scientific curiosity by listening to the Swiss Connection podcast for a mind-expanding experience with Swiss Info. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow or subscribe to get your latest episode on time.